I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I also want to uh, extend an opportunity to you, an opportunity to bear with me as I uh, am trying a new slide format. Um, if this all crashes and burns and uh, becomes a miserable and utter failure, I blame Daniel Prince entirely. Um, He's not in here, so I can do that. Um, this is completely his fault. And if he won't take blame, I'm going to blame Lewis because Lewis says he's already seen all this because I inadvertently posted it to Twitter last night. So, um, <laughs> there is always that option. I'm completely forfeiting all responsibility, so I get zero praise, but also zero angst. Colossians chapter 3. Um, we're going to begin reading at verse 12, and then we're going to read through verse 17. And uh, we're going to remain in a perpetual state of prayer that this goes according to plan. Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing and he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As I say almost every week, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, and as we look to this passage, I want to focus our attention actually on the last couple of sentences that Paul is writing here in this epistle to the Colossians. He calls his hearers, he calls his readers, he calls us. To as we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, and as we are teaching and admonishing one another, to make melody, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And then he ends with this final note, as, as if what he has said before is not broad enough and big enough and expansive enough. You know, kindness and humility and meekness, long-suffering, tender mercies, and bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Notice those are distinct in the Scriptures. There, there are things that we are to forgive others for when they wrong us, but there are times that we are called also to just bear with one another because people can sometimes aggravate us. But as if all that's not enough, he says to put on love, the bond of perfection, but then he ends with this idea of whatever we're doing, whether it's in word or deed, whether we're speaking to someone, whether we're speaking about someone, whether we're doing something with our hands or our minds, whether it is in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. John Wesley would tell us that if we can't do something, cannot do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, then we must not do it. 
But we are to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, lifting up our thanksgiving and our gratitude to God the Father through Him, the Son. This morning, as your bulletins have informed you, I want to deal with the subject of the seriousness of play. You might be wondering, what in the world does this epistle to the Colossians have anything to do with play? Well, it has an awful lot to do with play. It has an awful lot to do with fun. It has a lot, an awful lot to do with merrymaking. Because it says that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we are to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and we're to give thanks to God our Father through the Lord Jesus. And so this is a text that really kind of encompasses all of our lives. In all of our lives, we are to put on tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering. In all of our lives, we're called to bear with one another and forgive others for the wrongs that they've done to us. In all of our lives, we're to put on love, the bond of perfection. In all of our lives, we're to search for peace, God's peace to rule in our hearts. And we're to let God's Word dwell in us richly because whether we do something in word or deed, we're to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so indeed, we can speak this morning, including in all this, the seriousness of play. I want you to know, first of all, that play is of God. I'm using that term play to speak of fun, to speak of what the, uh, the old timers would call marinating. I'm thinking here of those things that we do to enjoy life. Those things that we, that we do to have fun in life. Those, those things that we speak of as whether it's entertainment or time passing or um, those things that we do that, that get us excited about what it is we're doing. Play is of God. The Apostle James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. And he says there's no partiality, no turning with Him. God has created a world in which we find fun. He has created a world in which we have multiple opportunities to play. He's created a world in which we can find goodness and joy and laughter and love. He's created a world in which we can find great times, where we can find ways to wear ourselves out physically enjoying life. Climbing a mountain, skiing on the waters, skiing on the slopes. He's created a world where we find many good and perfect gifts. He's created a world in which we find multiple opportunities for play. It's interesting. Animals don't laugh. You know, you speak of the laughing hyena, that's not really a laugh. Babies laugh. Uh, in fact, just this, I think it was just this week, Topher's seven weeks old, I think. I think tomorrow he turns maybe eight weeks old. Um, this, just this week, I, can, I found I can play with his chin and make his lips kind of clap together. You know what I'm talking about. Dad, you've been there. Uh, really weird noises. And he finds it absolutely hilarious. I'll show you this afternoon. It's cool. <laughs> um, he laughs. 
we create literature. We like poems. Maybe you don't like poetry. We like short stories. We like novels. All of these things, these these things that are amusing, all these things are different forms of play. We have humor. We have fun. The rest of the created order is a bit dull. But even in religion we find that play is of God. Think of the feasts of Israel. The reason why Israel was called to fast was so that they could then enjoy the feast. They were called to abstain from food only to be reunited reunited with the joy of eating. There are feasts throughout Israel's history. We think of God in the Old Testament is this mean and vengeful God. This God is always calling people to don't do this and don't do that. And worst of all, don't eat. Don't eat for 40 days or don't eat for 7 days or don't eat for this day. Prepare yourself. But we find also in the Old Testament a God who, a God who Himself institutes feasts, celebrations. If they knew how to celebrate David, if you were throwing a feast in, uh, in the Old Testament, you wouldn't have folks over for two, three hours. It would be several days. That's why we've, got pup tents in, we've got pup tents in the van, David. I hope you're ready. Um, Israel knew how to celebrate. God's people have always known how to celebrate. In fact, that's why we gather on Sunday mornings for celebration. The early church, after the resurrection, after Christ ascended to the Father's right hand, there was no question in their minds, but they were going to celebrate on Sundays. That was the day of the Lord's risenness. That was the day that Christ rose from the dead. That's the day of their salvation. They gathered to celebrate. And so, it's not uncommon to find in Paul's writings this reference to psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It was understood in the New Testament that they were to be seen. They were to be making joy. Even in the world of theology, we find glimpses of this idea that play is of God. God is not bored. God is not alone. Even before creation, God was not some lone, solitary monad sitting around twiddling his thumbs, bored to death. He didn't create you out of boredom. He didn't create the world out of boredom. He, he created out of pure joy. It's, it's amazing to see in some of the best pieces of, uh, of, of fictional literature that when the creation story is recounted, God is singing creation into existence. You find it in Narnia, beautiful, beautiful images of, of, of music that's being heard in the darkness and suddenly a lion and you realize that songs are coming and as songs are being sung that trees are popping up and pools of water are forming and Animals are popping up out of nowhere. God creates all there is by speaking. In fact, in Himself, the creation account in Genesis tells us that, seems, the Father turns to the Son and says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God is not some bored, lone ranger of heaven. 
He is a Father, Son, and Spirit. The miracles of Jesus, we think of His very first miracle recounted for us in the Gospel according to John. Was at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus is there celebrating a marriage, celebrating a new life being formed together as these two become one. And they're out of wine and Jesus turns water into wine. Play is of God. The idea of fun does not originate with us. It originates with Him. The idea of laughter, of excitement, of songs, of literature, doesn't originate with us, it originates with Him. Christ is the eternal Word of the Father. Play is of God. But the best of play is with others. I have uh, I've said it numerous times and I'll never grow tired of saying it. You and I are created for community. We are created in the image of God and in the creation account, God one time says that something is not good and that it was in regard to man being alone. Poor Adam is sitting in a garden surrounded by all glory, surrounded by countless animals, countless trees, countless fruit. He's given every opportunity under the sun to have a good time and to enjoy life, but he's alone. And God says it's not good. The best of play is with others. We're created in God's image. That should not come as a surprise to us. All throughout the Scriptures, you have importance that is placed upon this idea of fellowship. When we think of fellowship, we ought to think also of community. And that word community is very... Uh, I was thinking as I was mowing the lawn this week, I was thinking about how, how theological of a word that is and how deep and rich that word is, community. We, we toss it around as, as something that's, that's so simple. We've got community organizers and community leaders and community heads and We've got uh, neighborhood watch community surveillance teams, and we've got uh, you know we we talk we 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 in a church setting we think Eucharist sounds too high church and too ornate and too um, uh, too formal and too theological, so we call it instead Holy Communion. But think of that word community communion to be united with union co you know. Co-workers, somebody you work with. We speak of community and we find this call to community, this call to fellowship all throughout the Scriptures, not just Old Testament, but in the New Testament. In the book of Acts particularly, the, the, the word that's used over and over again to speak of, of the fellowship of the early church was koinonia. This idea of life being shared together. This idea of being united together in love. We gather to celebrate. We gather to share life with one another. Because the best of play is with others. And all throughout, um, all throughout history, 
in every civilization, man has needed to eat. It's part of it. You're a needy person. You gotta eat. And, you know, one of the most depressing things to do in life is to sit in a restaurant all by yourself and eat a meal. Even if it's a nice meal, it can get depressing. We, we have this interest of eating with others. Bill's shaking his head. He says, nope, he's not being bothered. <laughs> he's not buying it. Um, well, you know, when, 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 we, when we speak in, in, a, in a church setting, when we speak of having a fellowship, normally we're talking about there's going to be a meal there, there's going to be food. This afternoon we're having a fellowship. We're going to have food there. Um, when we when we get home from a long trip, one of the things that we often want to do is we just want to share a meal with someone. When we celebrate a birthday, often there's food involved. When someone's planning to go away for a while and we're wanting to spend that one last time with them, whether it's before college or before a long trip or before a move, Normally we get together for a meal. We have this interesting interest in eating and eating specifically with others. And God has given to His church a meal. The Eucharist, the Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving didn't originate with the American Indians and the pilgrims. It originated in the Scriptures. A specific meal of giving thanks originated after the resurrection of Jesus. As his disciples remembered that he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. The best of play, the best of our fun, the best of our time spent in joy are those times that we play and have fun and make joy with others. So playing with others is serious business. In the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Proverbs, we read that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we're reminded that the aim of our fellowship, the aim of our being brought together in community is so that we in sharing life with one another might encourage one another and strengthen one another and help one another to love. Interesting thing about the, uh, uh, the passage in the book of Hebrews where he says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves uh, is that he says he says they're coming together he doesn't specifically even mention music there. He doesn't specifically mention, mention hearing from God through His Word there, He mentions that they are to gather together in order to stir up love and good works in one another. Because you and I are brought into fellowship together. We're brought into community together so that we might become more like Jesus. So that God's image in which we were created might be renewed. We're invited into community. So that we might shape one another. So we might encourage one another and strengthen one another. Jesus 
When asked what was the greatest commandment, he said, of course, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Quoting not one of the Ten Commandments, but quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. But he said the second most important commandment, which is inseparable from the first, is to love your neighbor as yourself. The fact is that we are called into fellowship. We are called to step into the lives of others. We are called and pushed into the lives of others by the hand of God. And our play with others is serious business. When we interact with others, we're interacting with people made in God's image. We're interacting with people for whom Christ died. The people with whom we work, the people with whom we play ball, the people with whom we sit at concerts, they're people that God has created. They're people for whom Christ has died. And when you get to the end of C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory, you find some of the greatest and, and most stirring words that Lewis ever penned. And I want to warn you ahead of time, he uses terms that might make us a little bit uncomfortable, but you have to read the whole essay to understand where he's coming from. He speaks of our potential to be gods, not in the sense of that we become divine, but that we would become these great and immortal creatures. Superhumans. That we would become people that are more than just flesh and blood. And he, he, in drawing to the end of that essay, he says this, he says, the load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory, the glory for which God has created him, should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. He goes on and says, so should we just be serious all the time and never have fun? He says, God forbid. But we should remember that in our fun, we should remember that in our play, we should remember that in our celebrating, we should remember that in our joy, we are having fun with, we are playing with, we are having joy not mere mortal, somebody that's here for a while and then is gone. But with someone made in God's image, someone who is an 
immortal soul. Someone for whom Christ died. So the invitation to us is, let us play. Let us play knowing that God has given us every good and perfect gift. Let us play knowing that the greatest of these gifts are shared with others. Let us play knowing that as we play, there is a serious sacredness to it. Let us play having embraced the truth of what God has spoken to us. Let us play in answering the question, how then should we respond? And let us play all the while asking the question, what then shall we become? God speaks truth into our lives in order to spur us on to action so that He can develop within us a character like His own. And so in dealing with this idea of the seriousness of play, I want to encourage you, lastly, to take out your communication card. And on the back of that communication card, there's a place for a response. Hopefully you've noticed there's also a place for a response on the back of your bulletin. Hang on to your bulletin. I've uh, told you many times it makes a great bookmark, and it also makes a great reminder of the announcements, things that are coming up. It also offers a great, uh, a great opportunity to remember what uh, songs we sang as a church, what scriptures we read and heard from. So hang on to your bulletin. It will remind you of the responses that you've made to God. But I want to invite you also to drop off your, your communication card and the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary. Let's look at those responses together. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, I'm trying to be faithful in doing this. Um, in, in soliciting a response to the sermons, my thought is to try to invite you in to pray something with me, invite you to do something with me, and invite you to become something with me. And so... I want to encourage you this morning as we close in prayer to pray that God would help you and me to enjoy life and living a bit more. A bit better. God has given us this life. He has given us our every breath. He has given us our every opportunity. And we should pray in thanksgiving to Him and asking Him to help us to enjoy life but also the activity of living. What I want you to do is come with me to a cookout this afternoon. That's pretty simple. You don't even have to go buy your food anywhere. Save, save a little bit of money, go to David's house, mooch off of them for a little while, have some fun. Maybe if the water's warm enough, take a dip in the pool. What I want myself to become and what I'm inviting you to try to become with me, and this will come only by prayer and only by faithfully following after what God places before us, is to become a more joyful person. To become a person people like to be around. 
uh, I posted, I think, uh, on, I think on Twitter and on uh, Facebook last night, uh, John Wesley, I also sent an email to Mike, John Wesley's accountability questions. Uh, you know, in college they, at Oxford, they had uh, an accountability group, and everybody that thought they were a bunch of weird wackos who took their relationship with Jesus a little bit too seriously, they called them the Holy Club. It was a, uh, they also called them the Methodists because they were too methodical in their relationship with God. But um, one of the things I think he ends on is, do I complain too much? And that's probably something that hits all of us, right square between the eye. I don't know it hits me. Just this week, I've been thinking, man, I complain a lot. You may be thinking, what, what are you talking about? You're a great person here. I ask my family. I complain a lot. Um, huh? I want to encourage you with me to resolve to become and pray for God's grace to become a more joyful person because God has placed us in a world that He has created, that He has spoken into existence. He's made us with His own hands. He breathed into us His very breath of life. And He invites us into the seriousness of play. Let's pray.